today, we move into the second half of Matthew chapter 6 in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus continues to school us on life in the kingdom and how friendship with Jesus changes your perspective on literally everything in life. But Jesus, especially in chapter 6, talks about two in particular, two very core, central. Uh, We call them obsessions that people have. And the first one, uh, you remember we've spent the first 18 verses of Matthew 6, the obsession to look good, something about status. Um, And even though we're not very good sometimes, it's still important to look good. And Jesus addresses that matter. We looked at it pretty closely. And then uh, also the other obsession is to get more, more stuff. And Jesus addresses that now in this section, really in two parts. We'll look at just the first part uh, in the month of June. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, there is within the human heart a tough fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. Well, Jesus, being the great revealer of reality, knows that about us and has some wise counsel for us as it relates to the topic of treasures and and money. Let me show you the, the whole little section here goes from 19 to 24. This is the whole text. And you can see the front end of it is about treasures, which he mentions quite a few times in the first part. And then by the time you get down to the end, it's money specifically. So you've got valuables and then money being probably the, the, the primary, primary matter. So that's the topic of these. It's broken down into three sections that Matthew has put together. Uh, and the first one relates to the two treasures, the two kinds of treasures. And then next week we'll look at two perspectives and then two masters. So Jesus, as is his MO, is giving us the alternatives in life. Once you get introduced to him, you get introduced to a whole alternative for, for living. And we come to verses 19 and 21, which is we'll look at today, which has to do with the two treasures, and we'll start there. And you remember, at least here we can see you have earth and you have heaven. And this is not the first time we've seen earth and heaven in Matthew 6. You see them related in Matthew 6 in the prayer, where you have really this verse, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there you'll see the blending of these two worlds in reality. So heaven and earth are sort of these spatial figures that help distinguish between two kinds of realities, two kinds of living. Just structured, completely different worlds. And you see them blending here. And sometimes it's important to really understand the distinction between them. And that's what's going on in our text here uh, where we're looking at heaven and earth very, very distinctively. Because sometimes you've got to know the, the, the real difference uh, between the two. So you'll notice that these two realities are depicted with a conjunction that is... A spatial marker. Um, uh, It's the word where. So if you take the three verses we're looking at today, you can see that here. And you you can see spatially that Jesus is trying in this case to distinguish these two realities. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in, where where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in, and then where where your treasure is. So location becomes quite significant in this text to help us understand what Jesus is calling us to. Uh, The kingdom is a real place. It's a real life that you're entering. It's a real reality. 
that impacts life here uh, and is radically different. So God wants the world that he inhabits, which is usually how heaven is understood, and he wants the rules of heaven to break into the world that we're in on earth, and then he wants the world that we inhabit to break into that reality. So there's movement in both directions. So you, you, you at one time get the two distinct realities, and then at another time you get the idea that they interact with each other even now. And so there's never this sense for the believer that he's just waiting for heaven. He's already engaged in that reality here and now. But they are radically distinct as distinct as heaven and earth. Uh, And this is essentially what Jesus is offering, access to God's life, to God's reality. And without him, there there, there wouldn't be this heavenly option. There would just be the earthly one. And as we're going to see, it's not great. It, It would be horrible to be stuck with only the one alternative to focus your life on. And there's no way that he can address these two realities for human beings without addressing the topic of treasure and money. Um, It's the most sought after value on this earth. And uh, provides very easy battleground for the two realities to clash. Many years ago, I read an article in Money World magazine. This is a lot of years ago, and I happened to come across it this week. I have it on file, so I took a picture of it. And it was called, this was the, sort of the main article here, was Decisions, Decisions. Is your portfolio going the wrong way? And it's got a guy standing here, and he's got, you know, two hands pointing two different directions. It's the, perfect, it's the perfect question to ask. And, of course, they're asking one different in the magazine. But Jesus is literally saying there's two directions your portfolio could be going in. And is it going the wrong way? That is a great spiritual question. And decisions become the issue. So Jesus is simply, in this first section, going to say, here's your two options. Decide. And this just facts You're going to have to decide. Then he'll tease out a little bit of what that means. Uh, We'll see in the verses following this. So this is essentially what Jesus is saying. Which direction is your portfolio going in? So in verse 19, you read, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. Well, I think the way... I. A way to translate that would be something like stop, would be a call to stop doing something like stop treasuring treasures on earth. And maybe even more, I tried to make it even clearer for us, stop overvaluing earthly valuables. Stop overvaluing them. Uh, And he gives us the clear reason. Well, they're vulnerable to a lot of things. And they they don't last, and they're inevitably lost. Something's going to eat them, something's going to rot them, or somebody's going to take them. And if that's not enough, you won't outlast them, even if they do last. Even if they do last, you won't outlast them. Now, we've come a long way. So you've got consumption, you've got corruption, and you got crime, three ways your stuff can be taken. And we've come up with sophisticated ways to solve those. I mean, we have security systems. We have a you know, pretty elaborate banking system. We have uh, a number of things that we do to secure uh, stuff. Um, but there's still lots of ways. I mean, we have mothballs. I mean, you're doing a lot. We do a lot of things to stop that. But at the end of the day, you can have... An economic downturn, inflation, 
war, anything could happen. It doesn't matter how safe it was. Whether moths can get to it or whether it ever rots or whether somebody's going to take it from you. Some way, shape, or form, it can't last. You came into the world naked. So if you somehow managed to keep it until your own demise, uh, you still can't have it. So they get lost either way. Naked, you came into the world. Naked, you came out. Flannery O'Connor has written a little piece called You Can't Be Any More Poorer Than Dead. That's as poor as you can be. Uh, Friday morning, I was with some guys. We were having breakfast together, and uh, one of the fellas had just gotten back from a two-week trip out of the state where he and his siblings buried a 70-year-old sister who had never been married and didn't have kids. And only four of them got to go there, six total. Four of them got to spend these two weeks. And he said, he did, we weren't discussing the topic, but we just asked him how the trip was. And he said, I can't tell you in two weeks how many bags you can bag, how much trash you can throw away, uh, how much stuff you can donate and haul from one person. And he said, it was funny because we're walking through this house and there were things we knew were valuable to her and none of it was valuable to us. We're just rummaging through all this stuff. And he said, it was just a sobering reminder that at the end, it's just, it's trash, the things that we valued. That is really tough to come to grips with. And... uh And all of a sudden, in that moment, you get to really see, you get to see it, all the things that you valued all your life, and then here comes the end, and when you're at the end and you look at it, you go, useless, valueless. That's a, Jesus has this way of being able to help you see what things really are. That's why he's just such a great revealer of reality, because he just has a way of saying, do you see that? And you can go through your whole life not seeing it. And so uh, we'll look at that a little bit more in the coming weeks, that whole idea. Now, I think it's important for you to get over something in your head. You've got to get over something in your head uh, over for, for this month as we tackle this topic that Jesus is, is not saying, and you almost have to say it. He's not saying you can't possess anything. And, and he's not saving, he's not saying he can't save stuff. And he's not saying you can't enjoy things. That's not what he's saying. Well, that begs the question, well, then what is he saying? What is he saying here? And I think it's worth at least trying to figure that out. And I've jotted down uh, over the years teaching this text many times and coming to it this way, I wanted to come to it in a fresh sense. And of course, time and experience has taught me a little bit more, but there are at least three things I would suggest would be helpful for you to consider in, in this regard. The first thing is I would say is it relates to stuff and treasures and more and all that kind of stuff. Um, um, when, when is more a problem? The first one I would say is more for its own sake. Just more. It doesn't matter what it is or, how, or, or what we're after. It's just, I just need more of it. And I just want to say that the scriptures are pretty clear that there, there, there is a way in which material things can clutter your soul, not just your house. They can clutter your soul a bit and get you sort of spiritually closed off. Perhaps you have felt that at times. You have these little windows when you're just like, all this stuff is overwhelming me. Um, Now, you have to be really sensitive because it's really hard for anyone else to tell you you've crossed this line. 
So, uh, but it can get in the way. It can get in your way spiritually. And you just have to be really finely tuned to know when that's happening. Um, it can hold you back spiritually. Stuff can. So you just, you just got to monitor. It can ruin relationships. My, my buddy who was sitting at the breakfast said, there were a couple of pieces of jewelry that the sisters were all wanting. And he made this quote, this funny quote, because they had to, to address it. Um, um, where there's a will, there's a family fight. And he quoted that because there were a couple of things emerging that was creating, and it can ruin relationships. And here it is, it's just stuff, and most of it doesn't have any value, but all of a sudden we're fighting over it. And, and so it can, it, you just got to be sensitive for, for when it is. And then I think there's another one. There's, uh, when, when, when more is, when you need more to give you significance, and there are times when you will feel more significant because you have things. And I don't know what the things are for you, but there will be times when you feel better about yourself because you have something. That's a red flag. Uh, or when you find security in something, which we're all guilty of, that can be a red flag spiritually because anytime I'm finding more of my significance and security in anything other than God... I'm very susceptible and vulnerable. It's not a good place to be. Not a healthy place to be because those things, first of all, they're not worth it. You're worth more. And so uh, your own self-esteem or the esteem of others. Um, and maybe a, a good way to think through it as I've processed is you just never feel safe without stuff. Or more. You never feel content. That's a feeling I know all of us dislike. And you, and you have to. And that's, that's why I think the, this phrase here, I, it, there's a real temptation to make too much of that, but it also adds force to this text. That consumed with self and more just builds the self up, props the self up some way, shape, or form. So more for its own sake, more for significance or security. And, and then the, the last one I would su just suggest, I really thought hard through if there's more of these, but here's one, more, more at any cost. Like you get to where it just doesn't matter what it costs you to have it. You might have to lose your integrity. You, you might lose your values just so that you get more. And that's okay. Or you have to hurt others to get it. You really have to do detriment to other, to somebody else to get it. We're not above that. That's a problem with more. And it's really hard to have the co correct relationship to things. And I want to just say to you, don't sit here and assume you're okay. I think the whole point of this is to say, you anytime I'm thinking I need something or more of something, I've really got to check myself. It is worth checking yourself is all I'm saying. So. Like my friend said at the breakfast, it's a sobering reminder. And if you are overly fearful about stuff, overly anxious, or you act out of, maybe you're acting out of desperation, or you're just too consumed with what you have, or what you don't have, or what you might lose. And in a climate and a culture like ours, Jesus' words like, are like right on time. Is it okay to be losing stuff here? Because we're losing stuff. And Jesus says, stop. Stop it. 
Stop overvaluing earthly values. And he's not done. So he's going to say here, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Here's the, here's the positive and the alternative and the option that's available through Jesus Christ. To consider other things valuable and worth treasuring. And you might say here, if it was stop overvaluing here, you might say start treasuring treasures in heaven. That would be Jesus' advice uh, for those of us stuck on stuff here. He would say, uh, maybe better even say it this way, begin and continue to supervalue things that are valuable in heaven. Don't overvalue, stop overvaluing things here and begin to supervalue things there. Those two words, I think, help maybe make the distinction a little more. Like, like all of us would probably say, we probably overvalue some stuff here. But many of us might say, I don't know that I've ever supervalued anything in heaven. Have you ever supervalued heavenly stuff? And so that contrast is helpful in my head. Because Jesus is saying, there is actually another place, a real place, where... There's our spatial imagery. There are valuables that cannot ever be eaten, taken, or become rotten. Did you even know a place like that existed? Did you, did you even know before Jesus entered your life that there were treasures in some other place that you don't have to be anxious about? He's reminding us. That life with him is secure. It is rewarding. And it is indestructible. It can't corrode. You can't consume it. And nobody can take it. And you will outlive it. (laughs) That, that's four for four, baby. I don't know if you're counting with me. That's four for four. It's more substantive. So Christ provides us with an alternative. You can invest in what God is doing in the world, and you can invest in his treasures. God has treasures. Things that can't be lost. Sounds really good right now, doesn't it? A month ago might not have sounded so great. Two months ago. Sounds pretty good now. Uh, do you remember, it's been a, a number of years now when Martha Stewart went to prison for trading. I want you all just to remember back of her going to prison. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. Uh, but you remember why. Okay, she was trading on what she knew to be, based on insider information, a certain, a future certainty. And in the market... When it comes to trading, that's against the law. You can't do that. You're not allowed to make investments on what you know from insider information will be a future change in the market. And here, this is a crazy thing. Uh, What is illegal in the market and in trading is perfectly fine in the spiritual world. And Jesus is about to give us insider trading information. He is telling you what is certain in the future. Have you read the end? I mean, you hold the Bible in your hand. You know what the end is. It's certain. You know your end, and you know the spiritual end, and you know the ultimate end of reality. And Jesus is saying, bank on it. Invest in it. Remarkable truth. And here's what he's saying, and don't miss it. You can invest in eternity now, which we say all the time around here. Eternity is not just something way out there. Sometimes, like we're looking at in this text, earth and heaven are very distinctive on purpose so that you can see the difference between them. But they always flow together 
so that anybody in Christ is already operating with not only the values there, but investing there. It's already a part of your world. Eternity is, you're already caught up in eternity. And uh, Dallas Willard, of course, is sort of the master on that whole topic and tries to capture that in this little statement here. He says, eternity is now ongoing. I'm now leading a life that will last forever. Upon my treasure in the heavens, because there really are heavenly treasures, I mean, just think about that. There are treasures there. And upon my treasure in the heavens, I now draw for present needs. If, with a view to my needs in this life, I had to choose between having good credit with a bank and having good credit with God, would I hesitate even for a moment? I thought that was a really good question and really drove the point home that these two realities Jesus is distinguishing are not just two decent ideas. They're radically critical and different. And one is far superior than the other, far superior than the other. Really? Heavenly treasures. Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, it's just a treasure. Like right now, doesn't it sound like a treasure to you to know that you don't have to trust in earthly material things here? Because aren't you worried about it now? Aren't you stressed over it now? Isn't it good to hear the master of the universe, your master, your Lord and master tell you, you don't have to stress about your losses. And then to hear right after that that you can do things now that count forever. You can actually have treasures that can't ever be lost and you can invest in them now. You don't have to wait. It's almost as if Jesus is trying to say, you don't feel it. You feel like Jesus is offering you less. He's trying to offer us more. And a really good way to summarize this text is actually 1 Timothy, which is just worth hearing right now. As for the rich... For the most part, you got enough. Don't be haughty. In other words, don't get your significance from it. And then don't set your hopes on it because he says it's just uncertain. And it is uncertain. We know it's uncertain. This isn't us going, well, I disagree with the Bible. I don't think the Bible's really true. You're agreeing with that one. I guarantee you are. I don't like the Bible. I don't care. You agree with that. It's uncertain. So don't put your hope in it. You know that. But then look, on God who provides. Ah, look at this. What are we to do if we're not supposed to get our significance and our security from it? Just do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous. Be ready to share. Because then here comes the same phrase we're looking at there. Jesus said, storing up treasure. And here it is for yourselves as a good foundation for the future that you may take hold of what is truly life. You say, what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven. This is what it means. Mo, it means it goes away from you. It leaves you. Now, most of us are consumed with the opposite direction. What's coming to me? That's where our consumption is, and Jesus knows it. But he says, I need people oriented this way. It doesn't mean it doesn't come to you. It's just when it comes to them, people don't get haughty and they don't find their security in it and they don't get stuck with it and they don't get cluttered with it. They just know what 
where to put it. They have a whole structure in their soul and in their uh, economic framework of life that flows outward, that, that significantly flows outward. This isn't, hey, every now and then. You mind just help me out a little? That's, that's, we think sometimes that's what God says. Hey, every now and then, could you throw me a bone? Be nice. Everybody does that. That's not what we're talking about. Here, we're talking about something quite significant. We're talking about storing up treasures. That's different than throwing God a bone every now and then. We're talking about you've developed a portfolio that has heavenly interests. That's what he's talking about. Now, um, here's the first question I would ask as we just contemplate, okay, what, what do I do with that? Um, here's the first thing I'll say. Do you see it that way? I mean, do you, do you, even, do you even buy that? That the outflow is the critical piece for what it means to be rich. Do you even buy it? That's the first thing I'd ask. Because you could be sitting there going, I don't know if that really works down here. I don't know. Never seems to work. I don't know. You may not buy it. That's the first question I'd ask. Is that even an important focus to you? To me. Second thing... uh, Have you thought seriously about how you invest in what God is doing in the world? Have you thought seriously about that? Or is all you're thinking mostly about what you do to get it and what you do when you get it and then what you're, you know, after that? I don't really have a very elaborate way of measuring or even imagining that I have a heavenly investment strategy that I've thought through with some, with some seriousness. That would be worth asking. And for some of us, I would say, maybe, maybe that's what, this is worth throwing in there too. For some of us, giving right now isn't easy. And maybe for you, giving has been pretty easy until lately. And then when that happens, you know, it hurts a little more to give. I don't care what you're given to, anything you give to. Is that the first thing to go? Is that the first thing to go? You're like, I'm not even going to give thought to anything else that I could sacrifice first before my giving and my sharing stop? Or is that the first thing to stop and we don't even think twice about it? That's a worthy question. Um, and again, there's, there's no amounts here. I, I, nobody can do that. You, this is very, very self-reflective. You know um, Jesus didn't give amounts. Almost never does. And it's because he wants us on the edge of our seat all the time. If I gave you an amount, you'd hit the amount and then let it go. You wouldn't even think about it anymore. You wouldn't be generous anymore. You'd just hit the amount and be happy. This keeps you on the edge of your seat. We'd be legalistic if we had an amount at the end of the day. Do we really just value the heaven? I mean, this is just, do you just really value it? And um, so those are things to contemplate, I think, in this regard to what Jesus is saying. And then there's this verse. And, you know, for coming back to it, this is a verse I've taught on many times in many different contexts. I read it differently because I was just looking at the whole text a little bit more. You know what I was saying here? And when you look at the whole text a little bit more, there are a couple of gut shots in here. Like, it's all painful. Dallas Willard called this a severe intrusion. <laughs> and it is. You feeling intruded upon right now? I guarantee. Severe intrusion. 
there are a couple of specific gunshots, I mean, gut shots. Look at this. Sorry, that was a Freudian slip, maybe. I'm sorry. Not good. Um, here's the first one. Here, or here's the second one right here. Um, how great is the darkness to the guy who can't see what I'm trying to say, Jesus says. How dark is his world if, you don't even, if it doesn't even compute what I'm saying to you right now? That's a gut shot. And then there's another one down here where he says, literally, uh, you will despise either me or money. And you cannot serve God in money. That's a line in the sand, gut shot. Which side are you on? Who calls the shots in your life? And then you get to this verse in the first section. So here's the first one, and it comes with verses 19 21, it sort of sums up those first two verses. Where your treasure is there, where your heart be also. And who hasn't embroidered that and put it somewhere? It's the sweetest saying ever. <laughs> oh, yes, your heart and your treasure. So sweet. And in Christianity, it's a precious statement. It's precious. I'm telling you, this is the first gut shot. Right here. All right, so. Think about this. Your heart is the center of your being. Out of it, you operate everything else in your life. How you think and how you do life come from that space. It's like a GPS. And it, Jesus is saying, will orient you to one of those treasures. Either the earthly one or the heavenly one. The two realities. Now, okay, all of a sudden we're starting to get a little more serious here. Because we're just like, well, have you seen, are you watching Stranger Things? Just for spiritual reasons you should be watching. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's a scene, I won't give anything away in case you haven't, no spoilers here. But there's a scene where the kids in this episode we just watched where they have this compass and they're trying to find their way through woods, woods that they have been in all their lives. They know it like the back of their hands. And they're following the compass and the compass isn't working right because of the sort of the other reality uh, that's at work. And it's messing, up the, it's messing up the compass and they can't figure out places they've been many times. And it's because of this powerful e evil force that is now present. And they're really close to the sort of the portal or the gateway into that reality. And it's causing the compass, the closer they get to that reality, it's causing the compass to spin and, and disorient them in a way that even places they're used to seeing and being at and finding, they can't find. And that's kind of what happens to the human heart. Places... When things start to clutter the soul and get really close and become very affectionate and valuable to you, it's very easy that places that you once valued and you once knew where you were going, you get really disoriented and lost. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying here, your heart. Well, take you one of these places. Now, how significant is that? Well, like I said, it's the first gut punch. Because what Jesus is trying to say is that the issue of treasures is potentially spiritually dangerous. Based on my treasures, am I headed, not just my portfolio, but am I headed in a heavenly direction? Which way is my heart going? Am I heavenward bound? Certainly you don't believe that you will be in heaven even if your heart's not there. Does anybody believe, oh, I'm going to get there, but man, my heart was not in it. That'll never happen. You're not going to be anywhere your heart is. Not. 
If your heart's not there, you won't be there. That's how critical this is. And what's so critical about this and what's so unique about it is that money, money, Jesus is saying, is the clearest window into the direction your whole life's going, not just where your treasures might be in your heart. This is not an emotional statement. In the context, it's very spatial. Which way are you going? Treasures don't just reveal what is in your heart. It reveals where your heart will be. We'll talk about how to protect your heart in the coming weeks because I think that's what Jesus does coming in. And it's a little scary to think Jesus can look right into your heart right now. Maybe you can. It's not always easy for us to do, but I hope you can. I hope you try to figure out which way your heart's going because if you had to base it solely on that, what, what direction are you going? Do you think you'll end up somewhere your heart isn't? I promise you, you won't. And Jesus is saying, I can look right into your heart and see. Now, let me wrap this up by saying this to you today. This is all we need to say today. Listen. Jesus not only sees into hearts, and if you're even conscious today, you're like, that's scary. And even the short little glimpse I've gotten today, I'm not liking what I see. And you might say, I think I'm in trouble. I don't think I'm heading the right way at all. Well, you say, what do you do about that? Well, you do just what he's inviting you. You turn to him. You turn to him. You say, because he doesn't just see into hearts. He changes hearts. So what you do if you're sitting there going, that's a little scary. And I don't like what I see. You turn to him. You say, God, I need help with this value thing. I'm overvaluing the wrong thing and not supervaluing the right thing. And I need your help. I need your help. And, of course, the next coming weeks begin to do it. But you say, how do you start with that? Well, this is, where, this is how you start. This is how you have to start. Almost with any issue in your life, but especially with this one when it comes to treasure, whatever you value. Um, you, you start with considering God's generosity toward you. I mean, this is not even an offer on the table unless Jesus gave his life for it. This is not even an offer on the table for you. You're stuck with moths and thieves and rust and death. That's what you get until you meet Jesus. And the only reason the offer's on the table is because of his generosity. We celebrated at the beginning of this talk. Look what he's done for me. And then you realize, and you have to realize this, you're his treasure. You are what he treasures. He would give it for you. Nothing changes the heart like that. In just a few verses, a little while in chapter 6, you're going to hear Jesus talk about birds. And I don't know how much you've given thought to birds. My granddaughter loves birds. We've bought books of birds. If there's a ceramic bird anywhere in the building, her radar will find it, and she will want to hold it. I don't care how heavy it is or how scary it looks. Birds are her thing. And I don't know if you've read Matthew 6 in a while and thought about the birds, but Jesus does not give a lot of props to birds. He pretty much throws them under the bus. They're useless. They are useless. Do nothing, worry about nothing, have nothing. And yet they're making messes all the time because they're gobbling stuff up they didn't get. Jesus throws them under the bus big time. He says, I take care of those messy, useless creatures. Every one of them. 
And then he looks right at us in Matthew 6. How much more valuable do you think you are to me? Is it possible to even measure how much more valuable you are to me? And until you feel that value, until you understand that value, you'll never value the things he values until you know how valuable you are to him. That'll do wonders for your anxious, possessive heart. So if you're scared about what you see, just turn to him. Panic for a minute and then turn to him. And I want to just say, for those of you who have never given your life to Christ and you're sitting in here, you better find something in this life you cannot lose. You better find something in your life you can, in this life, that you cannot lose. And I submit to you, he's the thing. He's the one. To bow your heads. Father, oh my goodness, again you have reached right into the depths of our souls, penetrated the marrow of our bones. We can feel strength just leaving our body hearing these truths. And we we need to remember what you've done for us. And we need to be relieved. From the pressure and the anxiety and the desire for more. And we turn to you for that. And over the next few weeks, even now, begin the work that changes that for us. And there's not a better time in, in our lives, not recent lives, Lord, than to be relieved of that. In Jesus' name. This is not even an offer on the table for you. You're stuck with moths and thieves and rust and death. That's what you get until you meet Jesus. And the only reason the offer is on the table is because of his generosity. We celebrated at the beginning of this talk. Look what he's done for me. And then you realize, and you have to realize this, you're his treasure. You are what he treasures. He would give it for you. Nothing changes the heart like that. In just a few verses, a little while in chapter 6, you're going to hear Jesus talk about birds. And I don't know how much you've given thought to birds. My granddaughter loves birds. We've bought books of birds. If there's a ceramic bird anywhere in the building, her radar will find it and she will want to hold it. I don't care how heavy it is or how scary it looks. Birds are her thing. And I don't know if you've read Matthew 6 in a while and thought about the birds, but Jesus does not give a lot of props to birds. He pretty much throws them under the bus. They're useless. They are useless. Do nothing, worry about nothing, have nothing. And yet they're making messes all the time because they're gobbling stuff up they didn't get. Jesus throws them under the bus big time. He says, I take care of those messy, useless creatures. Every one of them. And then he looks right at us in Matthew 6. How much more valuable do you think you are to me? 
is it possible to even measure how much more valuable you are to me? And until you feel that value, until you understand that value, you'll never value the things he values until you know how valuable you are to him. That'll do wonders for your anxious, possessive heart. So if you're scared about what you see, just turn to him. Panic for a minute and then turn to him. And I want to just say, for those of you who have never given your life to Christ and you're sitting in here, you better find something in this life you cannot lose. You better find something in your life you can in this life that you cannot lose. And I submit to you, he's the thing. He's the one. To bow your heads. Father, oh my goodness, again you have reached right into the depths of our souls, penetrated the marrow of our bones. We can feel strength just leaving our body hearing these truths. And we we need to remember what you've done for us. And we need to be relieved. From the pressure and the anxiety and the desire for more. And we turn to you for that. And over the next few weeks, even now, begin the work that changes that for us. And there's not a better time in, in our lives, not recent lives, Lord, than to be relieved of that. In Jesus' name, amen.